Welcome to Audiobook Test Drive. In today's episode, we are featuring an excerpt from Dirigibles and Denial, written by Salome Verdad. An idler no longer, Archie Duntisborn is now married to the lascivious Alyssa Buckleshame and subject to her own cruel variant of sexual denial. But he is also a conservative member of parliament with special ministerial responsibility for the Air Navy, a fact that is not lost on the fanatical British Women's Association for the Eradication of Vice, who seek to use his position to impose involuntary chastity on all serving aeronauts, and Archie's anarcho-syndicalist comrades, on whom he is dependent for fleeting and unsatisfactory sexual release, want him to steal the plans for the Empire's newest and most powerful steam dirigible. Such divided loyalties may not be the worst of Archie's problems, though, because there is something nasty waiting for him in the laboratory of Professor Wilhelm Reich. And now for your listening pleasure, an excerpt from Dirigibles and Denial. A brief recap of the story thus far. A strange codicil to the will of his wealthy great-aunt renders financially embarrassed aristocrat idler Archie Dunstable, subject to the moral discipline of the British Women's Association for the Eradication of Vice, a fanatical organisation dedicated to the suppression of all illicit sexual pleasure in the male sex. Entangled in a fierce factional dispute within the association between the old guard who seek to suppress male desire and the modernizers, who want to use its energy for unknown purposes, and recruited as a reluctant incendiarist by the anarcho-syndicalist women, who provide him with a strange kind of sexual relief in return for his help in striking at the association. Archie finds himself married to the levitious Elsa Bucklesham, who has her own ideas about the control of male sexuality. And now, for the next episode. A fine day, thinks Archie. A glorious day. The summer heat is tempered by the breeze from the sea. Archie sits on a crowded viewing platform, looking out to sea. A uniform brass band plays a melody of patriotic songs, some of which Archie recognises. He hums to himself and taps his foot. I feel very proud to be British, thinks Archie and then wonders whether he should feel such a thing. He remembers that his new anarchist comrades feel no such thing. And, not for the first time, Archie feels the uncomfortable tug of his multiple divided loyalties. The anarchists, especially the women of Mrs. Hennessy's anarcho-syndicalist brothel in Camden Town, are the nearest thing he has to sincere friends. But he finds it hard to share their political opinions and attitudes. They despise the empire that he is now sworn to serve as a member of parliament and of Her Majesty's government. His unexpected political elevation has been less unpleasant and less arduous than he had expected. His adoption as a conservative candidate and his election were almost effortless. There is a group of MPs who, out of sympathy or compulsion, he cannot tell are helping to advance the cause of the British Women's Association for the Eradication of Vice. And they have taken him under their wing. As a result, his advance through the ranks of the Parliamentary Conservative Party had been steady. 
Now contemplating the celebratory review of the fleet, he pushes the complicated tangle of thoughts out of his head and instead enjoys the spectacle before him. The entire home fleet is drawn up for review, with dreadnoughts, cruisers and torpedo destroyers as far as the eye can see. Above flies the Air Navy, with war balloons and armoured zeppelins hovering in serried ranks, their engines gently humming. A line of barrage balloons, some painted with garish targets, extends almost to the horizon. A mile or so out to sea, some decommissioned old battleships are moored, to be used as demonstration targets for the very latest weaponry. Archie is seated on the viewing stand, surrounded by admirals of the fleet and senior ministers of the government. His own position, as a member of the House Naval Appropriations Committee, is junior, but not devoid of significance. Several of the admirals have greeted him with friendly courtesy and have paid their gallant compliments to his attractive wife, who sits beside him. She is elegantly dressed in a fetching dove grey skirt and jacket, cut severely to show off her figure to its best advantage. Elsa is not the only woman on the viewing stand. Two rows forward, amidst a forest of ostrich feathers, sits a delegation from the British Women's Association for the Eradication of Vice, the powerful organisation dedicated to the promotion of enforced male chastity, whose cruel discipline Archie is condemned to endure. Archie recognises Mrs Sandridge, the secretary of the association, and several other women of her faction. They are all dressed to the nines, in fashionable dresses and hats, and bedecked with the wine-coloured sashes that denotes their rank in the association. To his somewhat jaundiced eye, all of them seem to be glowing, with a smug, self-satisfied pride. There is no getting away from it, Archie admits to himself. Today is their day, and that of Professor Reich, the association's chief scientist. The dreadnoughts execute a perfect turn and fire their guns in salute. Then the war balloons begin their manoeuvres, switching from a line formation into a series of Vs and flying out towards where the target battleships lay at anchor. They begin their bombing runs, and everyone on the viewing stand can see the air torpedoes tumbling from the balloons onto the helpless ships below. There is a moment of pregnant silence, and then a deafening retort as the air torpedoes explode. In a few minutes, all of the target ships are aflame, and after a short time, they begin to sink. The spectators are all on their feet, cheering the merits of the Air Navy and the Empire. Some of the invited foreign guests, amongst who Archie spies the naval attaches of the Russian and German empires, are looking decidedly shaken by the spectacle. Then it is time for the demonstration for which the crowd has been waiting. Two war balloons appear, one in regulation Air Navy blue, and the others draped in the maroon banners and sigils that denote the association. This, Archie knows, is the first appearance of the much-discussed Grimshaw design, with the until now secret Lindstrom turbine engine. Compared to these two vessels, the other airships appear positively voluptuous, even blousy. Both have sleek lines, and cut through the air with what seems astonishing speed. As they streak overhead, there is a gasp from the spectator stands. 
beautiful, are they not, Archie? murmurs Elsa in his ear. But does the shape of the craft remind you of something? A sickening realisation descends on Archie, and he feels like a fool for not having noticed it until now. The Grimshaw dirigible bears more than a passing likeness to a male member, his own member, trapped within a Chedworth chastity device. The bronze sheet armour on the body of the craft is just like the brass tube that prevents his penis from achieving a full erection. The gleaming tail-mounted hoop that encircles the vessel's stern and provides the mounting for the steering gear resembles the ring that encircles his balls and the two side-mounted turbine engines sit in exactly the same place on the ship as do the cylindrical locks on his accursed device. Now he cannot unsee it. His face flushes red, and he cannot help but wonder who else in the crowd is also aware of the likeness. Any pleasure he may have taken in the spectacle of the airshow is now dispelled. Elsa slides her gloved hand along his thigh, so that his imprisoned member stirs uncomfortably in its cage. She knows, as does he, that the Lindstrom turbine is not the only innovation to be tested today. The first ever airship, staffed entirely by men under discipline, she breathes. The women on the association benches are all chattering excitedly. Archie remains grimly silent. He has worked hard to arrange the trial that they all are about to witness. But now that his efforts have borne such rich fruit, his feelings are, once again, quite turbulent. Having been involved in securing the trial, he ought to wish for its success. But as a victim himself of the association's cruel discipline, he cannot but hope for it to fail. We hope you enjoyed listening to this excerpt from Dirigibles and Denial. If you would like to hear the entire audiobook, it can be purchased at Amazon.com, Audible.com, and iTunes.com.